when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation and welcome to the tuesday week five preview episode of just pod baby i am evan Grote, and this week's episode is brought to you by silver and black today your home for all the latest news surrounding your las vegas raiders I'm happy to be here with you this week. If you are a new listener to the show, make sure you click the subscribe button. And don't be afraid to leave me some feedback, whether it's on Twitter at egrote 5 or by leaving me a rating and a review on iTunes. I do appreciate all the feedback and, and interaction with the listeners. Also, make sure if you have not done so already, download the week four recap that was uh, available on Tuesday morning, episode number 68 with my co-host Mo Moten. Uh, we had the chance to sit down and, and talk with Vic Taper of The Athletic. We, we had the opportunity to touch on a lot of different topics with him, so make sure you check that one out. It was, it was a real good one. Now, the plan for this week uh, is at the top. I want to take a moment to reflect back on the late owner of the Raiders, Mr. Al Davis. October 8th is the anniversary of his passing back in 2011. I will also take a look at the Chiefs' defense and some of the things that they do well and maybe where the Raiders can look to try to have some success against the defense of the Chiefs. In segment two, I'll go over the Thursday injury report as I do every week, and I'll give you my three keys to the game. And my guest this week is Blair Kirkhoff, Chiefs beat writer for the Kansas City Star. But as I said, this week, we're going to begin by taking a look back at the life of Al Davis, who did die uh, nine years ago today, October 8th, 2011, as I mentioned. And I'm sure that many of you remember that game, a very memorable game the Raiders played the day after his death. It was a 25-20 win over the Houston Texans at uh, Reliant Stadium, I believe is the name of their stadium, or Energy Stadium. I can't recall what they call it nowadays, but um, that was a very memorable game. It was uh, uh, during the Hugh Jackson and, and Jason Campbell days. The game came down to the final seconds. Uh, on the final play of the game, really, with, with six seconds to go on the clock, the Raiders uh, the, the, the Texans had the ball at the Raiders' five-yard line. Matt Schaub was picked off by Michael Huff. And, and, and when I was on Raider Nation Radio Tay with, with Q and Scott, Q reminded me that the Raiders had only 10 players on the field at the time. So it was the power of Al. But uh, I remember seeing Hugh Jackson crying as he was walking off the field. Just a very emotional moment for him and, and really the entire organization. Now, uh, just a little bit about L. Davis. He, he was raised in Brooklyn, New York. Born in Massachusetts, but raised in Brooklyn, New York. And earned his uh, college degree upstate New York, not too far from where I grew up at Syracuse University. And now his career in the NFL began as a scout for the Baltimore Colts in 1954. Uh, he left that job to coaching, uh, to, to, to take a job in coaching, uh, starting at the college ranks with the Citadel in 1955. Then, then he... Um, was doing some coaching following that at Southern Cal from 1957 to 1959 and eventually got back to the NFL in, in 1960 as a wide receiver coach for the Chargers. Um, and, and then, you know, his story and his legacy began with the Raiders in, in 1963 when he took over as the head coach and general manager until the end of the 65 season. And I believe he was, at the time, he was the youngest head coach in the league at 33 years old. I think I read that somewhere. Uh, pretty remarkable, really. 
Uh, he compiled a, a coaching record of 23 and 16 with, with three ties. And in April of 66, he was named the commissioner of the AFL prior to the merger. Of course, that was prior to the, the merger between the AFL and the NFL. And from 66 to 71, Davis was, was, was only part owner at that time, uh, but he was also the general manager. And then in 72, that is when he became the principal owner uh, of the team until his passing in, in 2011. And, and now we know his son, Mark, uh, is the uh, principal owner of the team. But he was also inducted into the Pro Hall of Fame in, in 1992. So obviously a very storied career and legacy, not only with the Raiders, but but with you know the entire league. He, he's... He's not only a guy who's very well known in the the history of the Raiders organization, but really throughout the whole entire league. So that's just great to to see. And, and you know, I know there's a lot of great books out there on Al Davis that I, you know, sadly I have not read one yet. I need to pick one up and and uh, make sure I uh, brush up on my on my Al Davis history and 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 learn more about about him and how he, you know brought that aura of, of, of the Raiders that we, we still hear about today, that commitment to excellence and, and, and all of those things. So, um, and, and I think looking back on his, his legacy, I think the thing that, that resonates most with, with a lot of people is his contributions from a civil rights standpoint, especially when you look at where we are as a country right now and everything that we're, we're dealing, dealing with as a country. He was, very much ahead of his time. He was the first NFL owner to hire an African-American head coach in Art Shell, and, of course, the first female executive in Amy Trask. And he was also the second NFL head coach, or owner, I'm sorry, NFL owner, to hire a Latino head coach and Tom Flores, who is up for the Hall of Fame again this year and has a very, very good chance to get in. So definitely he was instrumental in, in bringing diversity not only to the to the field with players and whatnot, but also to the sidelines in the in the front office. So so he'll go down in in, in you know history of the league as uh, you know one of the the, the advocates for 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 civil rights and whatnot. Now I got to be fair. He did many, many great things and, and during his, his 49 years of involvement with the NFL. But in his later years, there were definitely some questionable uh, decisions that were made, you know, as the general manager uh, of the organization. And, um, you know, you got to keep in mind, I'm 36 years old and I'll be 37 here in, in a month. So I wasn't around for all the glory days. I'm still a little young for that. Unfortunately for, for me and, and, and other fans who are in my my age group, what I recall most about Al Davis is things like him moving the team from from Oakland to LA and, and back to Oakland. The drama with Marcus Allen, right? We 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 know about that. He Allen was one of my favorite players, and he was one of the reasons why I became a Raiders fan when I was a young child. And then to see Marcus Allen be released and, and go on to sign with the Chiefs, that was that was tough to take. And of course, all the bad draft picks with with Darius Hayward Bay. Fabian Washington, Robert Gallery, and you know who could forget Jamarcus Russell, and then the topper I think of all of this when I look back on what I recall from from Al Davis in the later years is has to be trading away Gruden to the Bucks, and then a year later, as we know, the Buccaneers beat the Raiders in the Super Bowl. So I'm well aware of the, his greatness and his legacy, all the great things I just talked about. And I'm not trying to tarnish that at all, you know. So don't get me wrong. But as a fan who grew up in the '80s and the '90s, 
you know, I missed a lot of that greatness. So, um, anyhow, that was my, my look back on Al Davis. Uh, we remember him today, October 8th, and, uh, let's hope the Raiders can, um, somehow pull out a win in his honor uh, this weekend. Now, what I want to do next is I want to move on to the task at hand. That is this week. Um, it's going to be a very difficult task at hand, and that is the 4-0 Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs. Look, guys, you can make an argument that through the first four games, and it's early, but the Chiefs are a better team this year than they were at any point last year. They just beat the pants off one of the top teams in the AFC conference in the Ravens two weeks ago. And they 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 beat the Patriots without Cam. So, you know, I don't really know how much uh, weight that carries. But they, they held the MV, last year's MVP, Lamar Jackson, to 97 yards passing two weeks ago. Which leads me into my first main topic here, and that is the Chiefs' defense. And really, it's not fair. I, it's, you know, I'm going to sound like a, a, a sore loser here, but it's not fair. They have, you know, the most explosive offense with all those great weapons, a play caller and like Andy Reid, who is one of the best we've seen in, in many, many years. And then, of course, they're led by Patrick Mahomes, who right now he looks like he's going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the position. And now on top of all of that, they have a darn good defense to boot, and and that defense is is pretty stingy against the pass. They give up less than 200 yards a game right now, and I know that stat has has been padded a bit by the the game against the Baltimore Ravens and against the Patriots without Cam. But but they're getting it done on defense right now, and that's a real scary thought. Now, just some quick numbers that I have for you. They allow only 17.5 points a game, so that's second in the league. And I tell you something right now, and, and if, if if this defense continues to play like this all season long, if they can limit teams to 20 points or less, they might not lose a game the rest of the year. And I, and I mean that. I'm not trying to sit here and make some hot take. That offense scores so many points. If you're limiting teams to 18, 20, I, I don't see them losing a the game. I really don't. And, and, um, I talked about the, the their 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 pass defense. They give up what I said, 197 yards a game, and a major factor in their success is they will turn you over. They are second in the NFL with a plus seven turnover differential. They've got a very good group of safeties and Teron Matthew, uh, Daniel Sorensen, and Juan Thornhill, and those guys they don't allow explosive plays. I was reading an article today in the Athletic. The, the, the biggest play or the the longest play that they've allowed this year is 35 yards. I think the Raiders let up, you know, five plays of 35 yards last week, right? I mean, this defense is is very good. The corners might not be household names. I know that Brashawn Breland, he returns this week after a four-game suspension. And I'm going to ask, uh, that's one of the things I'm going to be talking to Blair uh, Kirkhoff about uh, when I get him on is to, to kind of go in-depth with us about the the cornerbacks and, and and some of the guys they have there, and, and then they got you know Steve Spagnola is their DC and and he's a very good defensive coordinator. He's been a, he's been around for a long time. He's won the two Super Bowls with the Giants. He was he was instrumental in, in that game plan that when they beat the Patriots and then he won the Super Bowl last year with the Chiefs. He is an aggressive defensive coordinator. He likes to bring pressure, a lot of exotic pressure. 
The Chiefs are ranked fourth in blitz percentage at a clip of uh, 39.6%, so they like to send pressure. And the thing about the Chiefs is they have guys that can get home. Chris Jones, speaking of guys that can get home, Chris Jones, he might be one of the top five. You could, you could probably even make the argument top three, right? Defensive lineman in the league. He is a disruptor in the middle. He, he'll wreck a game if you allow him to. And then they've got Frank Clark coming off the edge. So against a banged-up offensive line for the Raiders, that could pose a very big problem. Now, I do think if there is an area that the Raiders could look to expose the Chiefs, it's in the run game. The Chiefs have had two games this season where they've allowed 180-plus yards on the ground. One of those games was last week against the Patriots, and that was without Cam Newton, who could who would have probably added a few more rushing yards. But this could be the week that they the Raiders get Josh Jacobs going. Um, you know, he's been kind of a non-factor these last couple of weeks, and I think that has a lot to do with the, the offensive line being banged up. But based on what I've heard today from offense coordinator Greg Olson, they do plan to make Jacobs a big part of the game plan this weekend. So I think that'll, that'll bode well for the Raiders' offense. All right, that is going to do it for segment one. And when I return from this quick break, we're going to go through the Thursday injury report. I'm going to give you my three keys to the game, and you're going to hear my interview with Blair Kirkhoff, beat writer for the Kansas City Chiefs for the Kansas City Star. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everyone. It's Evan Grote, host of Just Pod Baby. I think we can all agree 2020 has been a real kick to the balls. That's why I recommend you start pampering your pouch with Manscaped. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features, though, is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you aren't listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Trust me, your balls will thank you. And we're back on Just Pod Baby. I'm your host, Evan Grote. This is the week five preview episode of Just Pod Baby. And what we're going to do now, as we do each week in segment two, we're going to talk about the injury report for both teams. We'll start with the Raiders. Some good news this week coming out of the Raiders uh, training facility with the injury report. The big ones I want to touch on, uh, of course, we got to talk about Maurice Hurst. And, you know, we know that he went on the COVID-19 list. We still have not heard whether or not he tested positive or if it was that he was around someone who did. Hopefully we hear soon on that. Um, And I hope that he has a a speedy recovery if he indeed did test positive. The other player I want to talk about is Malik Collins. He's dealing with a shoulder injury, did not participate in practice on Wednesday and Thursday. And I think that's significant because when you're already dealing with the loss of Maurice Hurst, who was playing very well 
probably playing the best of any defensive lineman for the Raiders. Now you now you most likely will be down Collins and Hurst. That poses a big problem. The pass rush wasn't generating much as it is. Now you take away those two guys, you got a major problem on your hands. What I think the Raiders will look to do here is you're going to see a lot more of Cleveland Farrell lining up on the inside and you're going to see more of Carl Nassib and, and Arden Key rotating in as uh, you know as the edge rusher. So expect to see that. Trent Brown is a guy we've been keeping an eye on for the last four weeks. He has only played three snaps all season. Good news, he was limited on Wednesday and Thursday. So all signs are pointing to him being ready to go this week. Henry Ruggs, he's going to play. He was limited on Wednesday. was a full go in practice on Thursday. So, again, unless something uh, drastically takes a turn for the worse, expect to see Henry Ruggs out there. Nick Kwiatkowski, he was limited both days in practice. He should be good to go. LaMarcus Joyner was also limited both days in practice. You know, Joyner was, was... kind of in and out last week against the Bills, but he is practicing now. So again, that's a sign that he'll probably play. Keyshawn Nix was limited both days. Uh, Nevin Lawson was limited. Just a ton of injuries to this secondary right now. Just just really like a, a, a mash unit, but it's a good sign to see that these guys are limited. Um, and, and that really covers all the real notable ones. Um, Jonathan Abram, he was a full go both days. So as far as the Chiefs are concerned, nothing really of note uh, except for one of their rotational edge rushers, Mike uh, Mike Dana. He's dealing with a hamstring. He didn't participate on Wednesday or Thursday. So uh, doesn't look like he'll be available to play. We'll see what happens with him on Friday. Chris Jones, he did miss the game last week for the Chiefs with a groin injury. He was limited on Wednesday, but he was a full go on Thursday, so he's going to play. And other than that, really, there, there's no one else. Um, Nicole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, they're all they're both listed here. One of their corners, uh, Shavarius Ward, again, he's listed, but they're all they all practice in uh, uh, full practice on Thursday. So those guys are all going to play. So the Chiefs are going to be at full strength, and we'll see about the Raiders. But that is your injury report uh, for Week Three, and now are my three keys to the game for the Raiders. Blue forty-two. Blue 42, set, right! Key number one is, as I mentioned in segment one, Josh Jacobs has got to get it going this week. All signs are pointing to Trent Brown making the return on Sunday. That should do wonders for this run game that has struggled in the last couple weeks. Brown is one of the better run-blocking tackles in the league. And if the Raiders can get some sort of ground game going, that's going to allow them to control the game, control the the time of possession. As I said last week, with these high-scoring offenses, you want to do everything you can to keep that, that opposing offense off the field. The one problem you have with the Chiefs is that they can score so quick, they really don't need a lot of time to score. But nonetheless, if the Raiders want to have any chance to keep this game close, to keep it competitive, Josh Jacobs, in my opinion, he needs 100-plus yards on the ground. Key number two, the Raiders need to finish drives with touchdowns. And it seems like I say this every week, and maybe I do, and it's because it's so important, especially against an offense like the Chiefs. They can drop 40 on you like it's nothing. Controlling the clock and controlling the time of possession is one thing, but these drives, if you go on a nice, long, 8-10 play drive, take some, you know, take 5, 6, 7 minutes off the clock, that's great. But you got to finish. And another thing with that is John Gruden, he might have to take some chances this week. Go for it on fourth and down, or fourth down, I'm sorry. Take a chance, take a risk, maybe throw a trick play in there. 
He's going to have to get creative. He's going to have to do what he can to help this offense get some points on the board to try to keep up with that that high-powered Chiefs offense. And key number three, the Raiders cannot beat themselves. The Chiefs are too good of a team to give them any help. They don't need it. They can beat you, you know, without you giving them any help. The penalties, the turnovers. Last week we saw the Nelson Aguilar uh, 49-yard touchdown get called back. That can't happen this week. If the defense is able to get a stop on third down, you can't you can't bail them out and make a bonehead play like a roughing the quarterback or a some sort of personal foul. You cannot have those mental lapses this week. So those are my three keys to victory for the Raiders. And Vegas doesn't really have a lot of confidence in the Las Vegas Raiders. They're a 13 point, 13 and a half point underdog right now. So definitely going to be a, a big challenge for the Raiders. Okay, what I want to do now is go out to the phone lines and bring in our guests. I'd like to welcome in our guest this week, Chiefs beat writer from the Kansas City Star, Blair Kirkhoff. Blair, thanks for giving us some of your time tonight, and welcome to Just Pod Baby. Hey, thank you. Good to talk to you. Now, Blair, it's Chiefs Raiders week. It's it's one of the most bitter rivalries in the league. Uh, but as Derek Carr said this week when he spoke with the media, it has not been much of a rivalry as of late. The Raiders have to actually win once in a while to make it a little bit more competitive. Now, coming off the Super Bowl win for the for the Chiefs in 2019. To me, they actually look like a better team this year in 2020, and a, and a big part of that is is the way that this defense is playing right now. They're giving up only 17 and a half points a game, which is second in the league. Because we all think of Mahomes and all the weapons on offense, does, does the defense get overlooked by the national media? In your opinion, it does a little bit. I, I think that there is a growing appreciation for what's happening on that side of the ball. And listen, the the defense really started to take shape about midway through last season. You know, Steve Spagnuolo was in his first year as the, the coordinator, and there were some, um, some some real sloppy efforts in the first half of, of uh, 2019. But tell you what, the, the, over the last, I want to say the last regular season, six regular season games and through the three playoff games, the Chiefs defense was terrific. And, um, and that's all the comebacks that the Chiefs made in the postseason, and they were down by double digits in each of the playoff games. As good as Mahomes in the offense was, it didn't happen without Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, and that defense. So, uh, and, and that that unit has uh, carried. You know, it, it's really started much better in in 2020 than it did in 2019. So, yeah, it has been a strength of the. Yeah, and you talked about the the second half of last season and they, how they've carried that into the 2020 season. I heard a stat today that I believe the last nine games, the defense for the Chiefs has only given up 13 points a game. So definitely, definitely playing well. Now, a big part of that Chiefs defense is defensive lineman Chris Jones. He's a monster in the middle for them. He's got three and a half sacks and only three games this, this year, two forced fumbles against the Ravens. I know that he was dealing with some sort of injury. He did miss the game against the Patriots. What can you tell us about the injury and, and what you expect his status to be on Sunday yeah tweaked his groin toward the end of the Ravens game so he sat out uh the Patriots game on on Monday night I think if if it had been later in the season and a playoff spot or or a seeding line was uh, was was at stake he would have played but they just for for uh just precautionary they kept him out and uh and, and so he he has been limited, uh, limited participate, uh, participant in practice this week. I think he's going to end up playing on Sunday, and um, and, and and that's a uh, th- that'll be a nice bonus for the Chiefs to get him back. 
Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star joins us on Just Pod Baby. Another area of that Chiefs defense that, that makes them so good is that they turn people over. They, they have a turnover differential right now of plus seven, which is second in the league. They've got five interceptions all coming from players in the secondary. And I think that most fans um, around the league, especially Raider fans, are, are well aware of, of the Honey Badger on the back end. But can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of some of the other members of the secondary? Well, yeah, so two of those picks belong to Legereus Sneed, a rookie fourth-round draft pick who will not be playing. He he uh, suffered a, uh, a, a fractured clavicle uh, earlier, and so he's he's out for about half a season. So uh, they do miss him, but they do get back Bashard Breland, in, um, uh, who served four-game suspension to start this year. And the cornerback position has just been a strength for them. Charvarius Ward, uh, has been has been very good uh, last year and this year on on one side, and Rashad Fenton, a second year pro from South Carolina, has really come on strong and um, had a very good game against uh, the Patriots on on Monday night. So I think they're going to be in good shape at cornerback and safeties. It's just a veteran group with uh, uh, with Tyron Matthew and Dan Sorensen, of course, and um, uh, second year pro Juan Thornhill out of Virginia, who was a NFL all rookie player a year ago missed the playoffs because of an injury and has come back strong this year. So the, the the back half of the Chiefs defense has been really good. Now you're right about the interceptions. They're they have five this year, but three of them came Monday night against the Patriots and not Cam Newton. It was Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham. So keep keep that in mind. But nevertheless, it's been um, it, it was a defense and, and a and a back uh, back seven that held Lamar Jackson the Ravens offense down. The previous week and uh, uh, so it's been it has done its job this year and that's that's really been a pleasant surprise for the Chiefs is the the improvement of the, the back end of the Chiefs defense. Now I was looking at some numbers and, and just trying to see where the Raiders might have an advantage. I guess John Gruden could look to try to attack the Chiefs defense uh, by through the run game. Uh, from a statistical standpoint the Chiefs do allow 160 plus yards a game on the ground. Talk to us a little bit about the Chiefs run defense and if you think Josh Jacobs poses a threat for them this week. Well I absolutely do. think uh, Josh Jacobs had two good games against the Chiefs last year and and not only uh, not only in uh, yards as a running back, but as, you know as a receiver out of the backfield, that's where the Chiefs are have been vulnerable uh, for the each of the last two seasons. And I think that's where teams can uh, can hurt the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, they, they do get look. The Patriots had 185 rushing yards uh, on Monday night, and teams can and, and have run on the Chiefs. It's it's just the uh, um, way of the world. I, I think opponents have actually uh, made the mistake of giving up on the run too soon in games where the Chiefs will get out to a lead and uh, opponents will think they have to throw to get back in it. And I think if they stick to the ground, um, that's probably the best way to continue to have some success against this, uh, this Chiefs defense. So I do expect Josh Jacobs to, uh, to put up some numbers. I, I know he hasn't had a great, great season so far and yards per carry is not, not where he wants it to be, but I think there's opportunity there against this Chiefs defense. It's a great weapon that the Chiefs have with, with such a high-scoring offense. Normally, they get out to those early leads. That can kind of that allows them to kind of hide that that run defense. So it's just a, it's really a perfect combination for them because, like you said, teams once they fall behind early, they they feel they have to throw the ball to catch up. So really, just a 
perfect combination there uh, for, for the Chiefs. Now, I want to talk about one of their new weapons on offense, and that is, of course, uh, Clyde Edwards Dillaire, the rookie. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he, he runs runs hard. I, I, I uh, watched him play in that, that first game where he had his big debut there in week one. Tell us a little bit about his skill set and what he brings and what he, he does for this offense. Yeah, it was a surprise to a lot of Chiefs followers that they took a running back in the you know with in the fi- with the final pick of the first round, a lot of folks were expecting him to go defense and cornerback uh, specific. But um, uh, but it was funny when when the um, certain players went off the board just before Edwards Alaire, the the uh, the texts went out among Chiefs players, especially Patrick Mahomes, uh, were you know to, to something to the extent of you know we're taking a hard look at Clyde Edwards Alaire. What do you think? And and Mahomes texted back with a big thumbs up and a smile emoji you know he was really happy with that and having another weapon in the um, in the backfield and so look the Chiefs had a terrific running back in Damian Williams uh, especially in the postseason the guy rushed for over 100 yards and had the last two touchdowns in the Super Bowl and he was you know expected back and Edward Delaire was just going to work his way in and and then Damian Williams opted out on the season so the pressure really fell on the on the draft pick and Edward Delaire responded in that opening game as you said and he is um, uh, a, a, you know, he, he's undersized, uh, but sometimes, you know, gets hidden. Uh, and, and one of those guys that can kind of squirt through and, and you don't see him until he gets through the pile. But the bigger threat for him is, is a pass receiver in the Andy Reid offense. The running back catches the ball a lot. And the, um, uh, you know, the Damian Williams touchdowns I was talking about, the, you know, one of those was the, you know, the, a short reception and, um, the Chiefs get touchdowns with their running backs through the air, and, uh, and and he is going to be a player like that for the Chiefs. Now, I think he sh- actually should have better numbers than he has right now. He's, I think he's just learning the NFL. I think just like all rookies, not having uh, you know preseason games has, has affected him. So I think all rookies are going to get better as the season goes on, and, and I think Edward Jolaire falls into that category. Now you touched on Andy Reid there, so I do want to ask you: What do you think about the marriage between Mahomes and Andy Reid? To, to you know, from the outside looking in, it just seems like the perfect pairing. You couldn't, I couldn't think of two better uh, coordinator and, and and quarterback in the league. When when you have a guy like Mahomes with all the talent that he has and a creative mind and play caller like Andy Reid, not to mention you got all the speed and athleticism that the Chiefs have. But just explain to us how the pairing of Mahomes and Reed really complement each other so well. Well, that that was a, a real key to this the successful um, stretch that Mahomes is on. You know, he he had a losing record as a starting quarterback at Texas Tech. I think he was thirteen and sixteen as a starter in Lubbock, and playing for a coach who we now know was an NFL coach in Cliff Kingsbury. So you wonder, you know, how in the world can a player with that kind of team success uh, have, come to the NFL and just kill it the way Mahomes has. Well, when Mahomes came to the NFL, he he not only had one of the, you know, one of the great offensive minds as a head coach in Andy Reid, but the quarterback room included um, Eric Bieniemy, who I think is going to be a head coach next year, Matt Nagy, who is the head coach of the Chicago Bears and a, and a really good play calling uh, offensive mind coach himself, and importantly, Alex Smith, the, the starting quarterback in 2017, his last year with the Chiefs. We all know Mahomes sat out that year all but the final game, and he got to he got to soak up all the wisdom that was in that quarterback room, and there was a ton of it. And it just 
the Chiefs were fortunate to have a good enough team to make the playoffs in the years before Patrick Mahomes. You know, ten and six type, eleven and five type teams that uh, won one playoff game, lost uh, in the in, in the first the first game otherwise. But but with Mahomes, um, you know, he was he was more than ready to be a starter and to be a successful player when he got in. And I think it was, a lot of it is because of the the talent and and the and the brain power that surrounded him and. Um, and it was, it was just a, it was just an ideal scenario. It, 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 it's not possible for that to happen elsewhere in many other places in the NFL, but it was just this, you know, convergence of events and people and, uh, and it's worked out, you know, as well as it could really for, for the chiefs and Mahomes. Yeah. And you, and you got to give Andy Reid credit. That was, that was his pick all along. And, you know, he didn't he didn't get selected until I believe it was like I'll pick thirteen or fourteen somewhere around there. And and you know, a lot of teams passed on a lot of teams that needed quarterbacks passed on Mahomes. So, you know, all credit to Andy Reid for 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 making the move and going to get him. Uh, last one I have for you. I know Mahomes isn't a guy who takes a lot of sacks. I see this year he's only been taken down three times. Is that more of a product of an offensive line that's pass protecting really well right now or more so about Mahomes' ability to move around the pocket and avoid the the oncoming rush yeah i think it's the latter more than the former this is not a uh it, it is a good pass protecting offensive line it's not a great uh it, it's not a road paving offensive line that that creates holes for you know for running backs but it's uh you know it moves well in space and it's it's more nimble than uh, then you think of a of a traditional offensive line, and that fits what the Chiefs want to do pretty well. So um, now Mahomes will, you know, he does so much damage when he's flushed out of the pocket, and not only does it buy him time to look for receivers and have receivers make adjustments and you know make adjustments off adjustments and and find you know he's able to find guys, but Mahomes is is, is a very capable running quarterback. He's not flashy like. Lamar Jackson or Cam Newton, but he is effective. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know, third and longs are, are, you know, doable uh, for the chiefs because Mahomes' ability to not, you know, scramble out of trouble, not see a receiver, see the defense's back turned to him, to him and, and go get the first down. He picked up a third and 18 the other day against the Patriots with a 20 yard run. So, that's um, you know that's really key to what the Chiefs want to do, and uh, and and that's a uh, with with the with this offensive line, that's kind of what 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 they're instructed to do. Um, he he he. Listen, he's had games where he's been sacked three or four times, and there will be more games when he's sacked that often. But uh, that's one thing that we've noticed this year about him is he's he is able to uh, really see the pressure, know where it's coming from, and step aside from it. And, and and make something positive happen from the, from it. Blair, real quick, I, I thought of something that I want to ask you real quick. I know that the the Chiefs are one of the teams that are allowing fans. Uh, how many fans will be in the stands uh, this weekend? Um, I think they're limiting it to uh, sixteen thousand. So sixteen k in a seventy five thousand seat stadium. Uh, I, I don't know if you know. I've watched I watched one of the home games uh, on TV, and I think they pipe in some noise as well. Uh, as they're doing at a lot of stadiums, so uh, but but there is some natural you know noise in there, more echoey than anything else, I suppose, and along with the uh, whatever gets piped in. But you know it's funny to see defensive players, especially you know, encourage fans to cheer, and and I guess sixteen thousand are doing the best they can. But it's uh, it's just a 
it's just a really odd sight to see. I know and in some places like, like Las Vegas, no fans in the stands and others have them. And I think more are starting to you know, allow them in, but it's just so odd to see the, 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 the scattered fans. It looks like a, you know, an exhibition game or a preseason game from the darkest days of the Chiefs with, uh, with, with just 16,000 fans in there. Yeah, definitely. It is weird, especially when you're watching it on TV. But uh, anyhow, that is Bla- uh, Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star. Thanks so much for your time and enjoy the game, Blair. Okay. Great, great talking to you. Okay, we're back to wrap this one up. Big thanks again to Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. Just some quick thoughts as we say goodbye for this week. Look, I don't, I don't think anyone has given the Raiders a, a real chance to win this game. And how could you with with the way that defense have played uh, recently? But look, what what I'm looking for this week are some small victories. I need to see glimmers of hope. I'm looking to see if. Henry Ruggs and Trent Brown, if they indeed play, I want to see them come out of this game healthy. I don't want to see them re-injuring themselves. Just get through the game. Show me that you're healthy and that you're going to be back in this lineup consistently. I'd like to see Henry Ruggs make a play. If he's out there, I want to see him make a play. Give me something to get excited about moving forward with this team. Can someone on that defense step up and make a play? Maybe someone along that defensive line. Cleveland Farrell, come on, man, you're due. Arden Key. You talked a lot of stuff in the offseason. Let me see you make a play this week. Maybe it's Corey Littleton. He maybe maybe he finally has a breakout game, has a you know, shuts down Travis Kelsey. That those are the types of things that I'm looking for. I need to see some signs of life in particular from the defense. That's what I'm looking for this week. All right, that is gonna do it for tonight. I appreciate you all for listening. I'll be back in the lab on Monday night with Mo Moten. We'll be recapping the game from Sunday. Until then, everybody, I'm your host, Evan Grote. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. And as always, just win, baby.